Amen. You can be seated. Amen. All right. Good morning, church. Amen. All right. We want, we're going to look at Proverbs again today. We've already looked at uh, things like pride. Um, and this morning, we're going to jump into our words, and we're going to talk about choosing your words wisely. Now, instantly, you probably thought of somebody that needs to be here. Amen? But we don't want you to think about them. We want you to think about yourself and, and the power of your words. Now, listen very carefully. The Scripture talks about every single word that you say is powerful. And so we're going to talk about taking advantage of those words. So we're going, to, we're going to look at Proverbs, many verses in Proverbs, but we're going to begin by wanting you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to start our reading of the Scripture, beginning in verse 29. Ephesians 4, verse 29. All right? Don't use foul or abusive language. Another version uses corrupt, all right? Don't use corrupt or foul or abusive language. Let everything, notice that, everything you say be good and helpful or encouraging so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear. Verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember that he basically identifies you as his own, guaranteeing your salvation at the day of redemption. Now look at verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, anger, or rage and anger, harsh words that we have again, slander, and all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Let's just go to the Lord and pray and ask the Father just to quiet our hearts, and cause our minds to be keen and alert to what he has for us. Father, we just come to you this morning, and we pray that you would help us to set aside all the dealings of yesterday, all the things we have to do today, and I pray that we would be people that are living in this moment, this very time, and we would take advantage of, the, uh, of this opportunity we have to hear your word. And Father, we pray that the word of God would be quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we'll give you the praise for everything you accomplish in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, choosing your words wisely. All right, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. We have to ask the question, why, is it, why isn't it okay to be harsh and to be mean? And, you know, sometimes it seems like you, you, you just have to be that way, right? You have to get people's attention. And sometimes you have to be that way, we think, to get their attention and cause them to straighten up. But Scripture says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So we're going to look at three things, why we should not. Number one, it hurts others. Number two, it hurts yourself. And number three, it hurts the spirit of the living God. I know that's shocking, but you can cause pain to the spirit of the living God. You by your actions and your words. 
Okay, so we tear down people. It is destructive. I want to go to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. This is, this is we're going to look at several verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 21 says, The tongue can bring death and life. In other words, the, the tongue has the power of death and life to those who, will, who, who love to talk. Okay, you might want to circle that in your Bible. Those who love to talk. Anybody here that are sanguines that just love to talk? All right. The, the King James puts it this way. If you love to talk, you find yourself in trouble all the time. Understand that? <laughs> if you love to talk, you find yourself getting in trouble constantly. All right. But notice what it says. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Listen to the definition of death. It means to ruin. It means rotten. It means to destroy. In other words, it brings people down when you use rotten language. We're not, we're not just talking about cussing, okay, not even close to cussing. We're talking about how you talk and, and put down people or you're, you're, you're saying things bad about someone to someone else. All right. If you follow my drift, you're talking to somebody and you're talking about somebody else. That is destructive. It's ruined and it's rotten and it smells in the nostrils of God. Okay. The idea is to make sad. Now, hang with me. All right. Now, on the other side, the word life means to make alive. The idea is, and it actually says this in the strongest concordance. It says water to a plant. So have you ever been on vacation and, and you're, you haven't watered your flowers for several days or your plants and they just kind of wilt? Has anybody ever noticed that? And you come back and you put water on it. What happens to that plant? It comes alive. Seriously, it comes back. It's refreshed. Are you getting a picture? When you speak life, this is the power of words. When you speak the proper words in people's lives, they, it, they're encouraged, they come alive, they're refreshed. And there's another word in the Strong's Exhaustive in the Hebrew that says this. It says, Mary. So your words can tear people down and ruin people's attitudes and make them wilt, if you will, if you will. Or you can speak great words in their minds and in their ears that bring them to life and build them and encourage them. You have the power, not just me, because what we do is we say, well, that's somebody else. It's not me. The Bible says it's you. Every word that we say can actually bring life and healing to other people. Look at verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 18. Some people make cutting remarks. But the words of the wise bring healing. Some translations say the thrust of the sword. Our words can be like thrusting of a sword in a person's body. 15.1, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. Everybody follow me? Now, just simple, just simply our words. We're talking about anything else. Just our words. We're going to zero in on our specific words today. So here's the thought, okay? You might want to write this down, okay? If you can't say anything encouraging, 
If you can't say anything helpful, stop. Say that with me. That's a good word, isn't it? Stop. Say it with me, really. Stop. Come on. Put some emphasis in it. If you can't say anything helpful, encouraging, stop. Don't say it. We need to get that. We need to get that down in our brains. If you can't say anything encouraging, stop and don't say it. And if you think of something encouraging and uplifting, say it. Isn't that true? A lot of times we think something about someone and, and, and it, it's, it's really nice, but we never tell them. <laughs> okay. So just the reverse of this. If you can't say anything helpful, stop. Don't say it. Now I want to switch on over to a couple other verses in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Notice what it says. Live wisely amongst those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. We're going to zero in on that for a moment. Make every, make the best of every opportunity. Let your conversation, now notice this, be gracious and attractive. That's good. Be gracious and attractive so that you will not, or so you'll know how to respond, have the right response for every single person that comes your way. All right. So notice here, make Take advantage of every opportunity. That's a great thought. It means to buy up opportunities. Now listen, life is a series of never-to-be-repeated opportunities. Now think about that. Life is a series of never-to-be-repeated opportunities for you to buy up spiritual blessings. That's a great way to think of life. Okay? Every hour of your life brings a situation that can be bought up for eternity or missed. Just blow it. Driving down the road, you have an opportunity as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and gives you somebody that you need to pray for that are going through a difficult time. They're battling, they're warring spiritually. And you take their name to the Lord. And you plead with God to work and give them the wisdom, the strength, the scriptures to be able to, to deal with the situation they're going through. Help them to battle and win the battle. That's buying up the opportunity. Most of us, when we get in the car, the first thing we do is we listen to talk radio or we listen to what? Music. Can I, say, can I hear an amen? How many get in the car and this is your praying time? Amen. A couple of us, Amen. I mean, it's a great opportunity. You're, you're driving. Yesterday, I'm going to the basketball game at BBC, right? And it's like an hour over there, seems like it, going through all the traffic. Not really. But as I'm driving, I'm thinking of all these people taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives you. You're buying them up or you just miss them, okay? Jesus said, store it for yourself treasures in heaven where moth doesn't corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. What's he talking about? And then he talks about a man who goes into a far country, gives his servants gold and silver, and tells them to carry out his business. What's he talking about? He's talking about the same thing. Buying up these opportunities. What a great way to look at life. Every moment, God brings situations, every hour he brings situations that you have an opportunity to take advantage of and to send treasures on up 
to heaven. So that when we're there for eternity, we have abundance of rewards. It's a great opportunity. And it's a great way for you and I to look at life, buying up these opportunities. Now, Colossians only talks about two areas, okay? He says, first of all, live wisely. So the idea is behavior. One of the ways we can store up treasures in heaven is by our conduct. So living wisely. Now, our philosophy is that we become all things to all people that we might win some. Amen? Hang with me, all right? We, we, we become all things that we might win people to Christ. The wisdom is that we're careful that we don't break our fellowship with God in the process of trying to win people. We don't fall into their sin. We don't do things that are wrong to break our fellowship here. We want to reach them, but we don't want to get involved in sin for our thinking to do that. God forbid. Then he gets into the words. Colossians first says, how can I store up treasures in heaven? How can I take advantage of these opportunities? First, live wisely. Second, he says, salty speech. Now, in the, in the verse here, he just uses the word attractive in this translation. But in every other tra- translation, it says salty speech. I take that to mean that my conversation about my God and about my Christianity is to be flavorful. Can I hear an amen? It's supposed to be attractive. I'm not supposed to live a life and talk a life that people says, whoa, that's gross. How, how, how many of you like unsalty food? None of us. It's bland. And so when we talk about Christ, our conversation with a person about Christ and the Christian life should be such a way that it brings flavor, okay? Now, how do I do that? Well, I think what's happened over the last, if you've been saved as long as I do and you're saved for a long time, I think sometimes we, we miss out on the daily critical enjoyment of Christ in the word daily. We need to remind ourselves as we get into the word of God every day how delicious Jesus Christ is. Right? Remind ourselves that this is great stuff. I think what we've done is we've just gone, well, we go through our emotions, our daily devotions, we shut it, and then we go on about our day. And we don't get excited about the the great taste that Jesus is, or the Christian life. There's no better life in the world than the life that you and I live. If we're following the book, it's, it's great. It's joyous. We forgot to, how delicious Jesus Christ really genuinely is. Because we're not experiencing on a daily basis. We get the Word of God and we say, huh? it's just, yeah, good, that's good stuff. Amen, bye. Right? Just, it's just oh-hum. You know, it's not like, you know, I go by White Castle and I've got to stop. I cannot pass a White Castle without getting at least eight burgers. <laughs> just can't. Anybody with me? How many have a, a restaurant like that? When, when you and I go out to eat, why do we go out to eat? Because of the sodium. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. It is. 
And yet we make Christ and the Christian life look bland. So we need to talk. Let me give you an example. Paul the Apostle, right? Paul the Apostle, he does all things. Everything he does, he does. He becomes all things that he might win people to Christ. Well, he's, he's preaching in the, in, in the city of Philippi, right? And he wins this girl to the Lord, and she was, you know, she was possessed by demons, and she could tell the future, and she was making her owners a lot of money. She was a slave, making tons of money. Paul leads her to the Lord, and so she loses all that ability. So no longer can she make this money. So her bosses come to to uh, Paul, stirs up the whole city, they rip his clothes off, they take wooden rods, and they beat Paul with wooden rods for the cause of Christ. They throw him in prison and put him in the inner dungeon. Now, the quality of life there, I'm sure, was fantastic, right? Okay, stripped, beaten with wooden rods. He's in prison, and you know the story. At midnight, he begins to sing and praise God. To Paul, the apostle, Jesus Christ was delicious. And as he sang praises and he worshiped God, the rest of the, the jail heard him and they come running to Paul. The flipping jailer came running to Paul, says, I want that deliciousness that you're talking about. He made Jesus Christ, after being beaten and put in prison, look delicious. Can you see what I'm talking about? Come on, say amen. If you don't, I'll keep going on this one point. Drag it out a little bit further. All right, no, I'm kidding. Okay, so you, I mean, we need, and the only way to do that is really spend some time getting, getting the meat Getting the, the good stuff out of Scripture. This last week, I'm, I'm meeting with this guy, and I'm, we're talking, and, and he, he, he talks about, he's talking about Abraham. Why did Abraham go down to Egypt and tell his wife, Sarah, to say, that you're, say, say you're my sister? Abraham is a giant in the face, right? Amen? And he says, honey, would you lie? Because you're so beautiful, they'll kill me for you. Can you just say lie? Can you lie for me? And so she does. And of course, the king takes Sarah as his wife because it's, it's Abraham's sister in his mind. And so we're talking, and he's just blown away. So I forget about it, and we just go on down the road. He's just floored. He texts me later and says, the reason that the king gave Abraham's wife back is because God gave him a dream. In other words, he's so excited about the word of God because he's digging in it. And he's texting me, this is great stuff. And I think to most of us, we've, we've, we've spent so long, this stuff is just not that important. But you're not in it and you're not putting things together. We need to get back to the, where the word of God is salty to us, delicious to us. And that's the only way that's going to be delicious and what the scripture says, attractive to others. That's it. I know it's a long way around to get to that point, but we need to understand that as we speak words of uplifting and make it attractive, the world's going to want it, and our brothers and sisters who are on that, you know, barely in the book and don't really care, they're going to see that it's, that it's delicious, and they're going to want more of it. 
All right? So again, uh, delicious conversation. All right, let's go back to our thoughts here. Um, number two, okay? So why should we speak words of edification and not destruct? Number one, because it hurts other people's. Number two, it hurts ourselves, okay? It hurts ourselves. No doubt, because I know pretty well all of you, that we're constantly communicating to ourselves. And the majority of us are saying, you know, I'm not valuable. I'm a nobody. I, I just don't have the gifts and the talents that so-and-so has. And my circumstances in life shows me that God doesn't love me as much as he loves somebody else. These are words that we, we say to ourselves on a consistent basis. And we're, we're telling ourselves that we're not val valued by God. We're not valued by the world. We find ourselves talking to ourselves and speaking to ourselves destructive words. And what happens is when you get to the point where you don't think that you're valued, you don't think that you're valuable in the eyes of God and that you're a nobody and God doesn't love you, Satan has you exactly where he wants you. Listen to this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26, it says, Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him doing his will. When a person thinks that they're not valuable and that God doesn't love them, Satan has their mind on focusing on exactly what he wants and they're accomplishing nothing for Christ. They're literally not taking advantage of the opportunities that are right in front of them. Because their mind is full and they're constantly reminding themselves of the lies that he's pouring down in them. And they're trapped. You're trapped when you begin to believe this because of your circumstances in life, because of your income, because of your bank account, or your looks, or your abilities. We judge each other by each other. And the Bible says that we're fools when we do that. And so it's vital to come back to Scripture and understand that we have to speak the truth in our lives. Let me give you a story. The Old Testament, one of my favorite stories in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. David is not king yet, and David is running for his life. Saul is chasing David with all of his soldiers trying to kill David, take out his life, okay? And God is miraculously delivering David over and over and over. And he's hiding from David, or from Saul. And there's, there was a couple of times that David was in the cave. Saul was right there sleeping. He could have killed Saul, but he said, I can't. Twice that happened. God's delivering him. Well, it got so bad that David, been 10 years, David's running for his life. King David. At the very end, it's so bad that he goes over to the camp of the Philistines and he approaches the king there and says, I need a place to hide away. And the king says, go to Ziglog. So David goes over to this empty city, him and his 400, 600 men and their families and all of their stuff. They're living in this city. So David and the men go back to visit the king. And as they're, and listen, as they're coming back to Ziglog, their city, there's smoke rising up from the city. The enemy, the, the raiders had came and burnt the city to the ground. 
taken the women and taken all the children and taken all their stuff. So as the men are coming, they see this, they fall to the ground, and the Bible says they weep till they could weep no more. I mean, distraught. And David is down weeping as well. And when they're not able to weep anymore, they come together and say, we need to kill David. This is his fault. Now, David, no doubt, is kind of concerned about this, right? And this is verse 6. Listen to what verse 6. In, in the midst of all of this, verse 6 says this, And David encouraged himself in the Lord. Right there in the midst of all this. Tragedy. Your wives, he has two wives. His, both of his wives are taken. All the wives of the men, all their children and all their stuff. Who cares about the stuff? It's the women and children. They took them. And the Bible says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. We've we got to ask the question, how? How did he do that? He did it the same way we're supposed to, and that is preach the truth. Preach the truth to yourself. Well, what could have David possibly have said that would have encouraged him in the Lord? Let me give you four thoughts. As David is laying there on the ground, He's probably thinking, and this is how he encouraged himself in the Lord, God has anointed me king. He promised me that I was going to be king. Saul came over, anointed me with oil. We had this ceremony, and God said, this is my future king. And David's probably thinking, I haven't been king, so guess what? This hasn't been fulfilled. I'm not going to die here in this field. Everybody see that? He's grabbing the promises, and he's, he's, he's telling himself, I'm not going to die here. The second thing I think possibly he was saying, and that is this. God has saved my men from Saul over and over and over. He's not going to take me out right here and all of our men. He's just not going to wipe us out, and it's not going to end like this. There's more to the story than just this. Because he delivered me and the men over and over and over. There's something in store for me and my men. The third thing that he probably said to himself is, this is just another opportunity for God to show himself strong on behalf of those who love him. That is a biblical principle. Those that seek God, those that serve God, that's the one that God's looking for to show himself strong on behalf of. And so David is grabbing this verse and he's encouraging himself in the Lord. God is just looking for an opportunity to flex his muscles. That's probably what he said to himself. And then the last thing is this. David's saying, why am I believing the worst in this situation? Why am I running down the rabbit hole thinking that my wives have been raped, all the women, men's wives have been raped, and the kids have been killed? I mean, why am I going down that road? It hasn't happened yet. You ever found yourself that? Going to the worst case scenario. You don't know what God's up to. That'd be the last thought. And so David encouraged himself. He set up and he prayed and said, Lord, can I go after him? And the Lord said, go. This is the end of the story. So David goes. The Bible says he gets back every wife, every child. And the Bible specifically states nothing, not one hand touched anyone. And he recovered all of the family. He recovered all of their belongings. And the Bible goes further that after he took out the men, that he got all the spoil. 
So God definitely flexed his muscle in this situation. And David and his soldiers and his army became richer for the battles of the future. So as you and I go through all of these situations, we need to do the same thing. We need to tell ourselves the truth. What is the truth? Follow. This is very important. Follow this. As you're going through things like David and your mind rushes down the rabbit hole and you begin thinking the worst and you begin weeping and crying and murmuring, saying, woe is me, think of the truth. Just go back and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, I am a new creature in Christ. If anybody, if anybody knows Jesus Christ, he is a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm a new person. And God is working. And then go to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. He that hath begun a good work in me will not stop until I am with him. So, so I'm a child of God. He's with me, and he's continuing working on me and, and all, all these stuff. And I am literally going to be just like him. He's moving me and shaping me to be just like him. So I don't have to be in despair. He's with me. I'm a child of God. He's with me. He will never leave me. And he's working. And third, in, in, in 1 Peter, he says, I am royalty. You are royalty. You are a priest. You are a king. You are God's possession. You, you, you see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm just... I'm just going through the promises that will encourage me rather than lying to me and saying, this is it. I'm a nobody. I'm never going to amount to anything. When God's word says just the opposite. Then we go to a couple more. The Bible says in John 15, 5, that everybody that's saved, they are a branch. You are a branch. All right, all of us are branches. We're connected to the vine, which is who? Christ. And his power flows through the branches to produce what? Fruit. So that the world can come and taste how delicious Jesus Christ is. That's what the Bible says. You're a branch. And if you don't stay connected, you'll become a withered branch with no leaves. I mean, sometimes trees can look pretty without leaves, right? When they're massive. But if you're just a little twig, what do you want to do? Pick it up and throw it in the fire, right? You just throw it in the fire. That's what the Bible says about you. You're this branch connected and you're bearing fruit. And then you just keep going in Ephesians chapter 4 or chapter 5, verse 19. It says that when we're connected and the branch and the power is flowing through us, there's this song that begins to well up in us. And we begin singing praises. And the Bible says singing melody in our hearts to the Lord. There's this joy overflowing If you're connected to the vine. You see what I just did? Just like David did. 
no matter what your circumstances are, if you have the Word of God in your heart and in your mind, this is the truth about you. Are you following me? It's the truth about you. It's not the truth about somebody else. It's not the truth. It's the truth about you. And it's vital that you speak to yourself truth. It's a progression of thought. But if you don't and you listen to the world, you're not valuable, you're a nobody, your opinion doesn't matter, okay? And all these things that, 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 that constantly crowd your, your beliefs don't matter when they're based on the Word of God. All of this stuff. So, so negative words, listen very carefully, they hurt you, they hurt others, and number three, they hurt the Spirit of God. Ephesians, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to the Spirit of God by the way you live. And then he talks about by the way you speak. Okay, so your words, your actions and your words can quench, grieve. King James says grieve. And most other translations use the word grieve. Okay? And so this is, this is vital. The next couple of minutes, we're going to talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm talking to you about this morning, listen, listen. It's meat. Okay? It's meat. If you're here this morning and you're a babe, it's difficult to swallow and chew up the meat. But if you're here and you're a believer, it's kind of boring to talk about my words, right? Okay? It's kind of boring. But if you're a, a little bit more mature, this is the step up for you spiritually. If you, begin to, if you begin to say this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth. If you can't say anything helpful, stop. Because what will happen, all of a sudden, everything you're saying is for the benefit of others. It's the benefit of you, and the Holy Spirit is allowed to work in your life. You don't quench the Spirit of the living God. Everybody follow me? And the last thing that we want to do is quench the Spirit of God. We want to release Him. We want the Holy Spirit to fill us and take control and do the work of the Father. That's the goal. This is meat. So I want to give you a couple of areas of where we quench the Spirit of God, all right? Where we grieve and quench. I'm using those two words together, all right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Let's look at this. Verse 19 through 21. Do not stifle or quench the Holy Spirit. So over here it uses grieve, which means, as we know, causes sorrow. Here it uses quench or stifle. So when you make the Holy Spirit sad, you're definitely squashing him, right? You're, you're, you're definitely putting the Spirit out. You're stifling the Holy Spirit in your life, okay? And then it goes on, it says this. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said and hold on to that which is good. <laughs> this is really good, okay? Okay, so we can, we stifle the Holy Spirit. We put the fire of the Spirit of God out when we despise prophecy. The word despise means to value less or not get much, don't give much value to, okay? And the idea is that we don't give much value to Bible study. The idea, prophecy is really, it, it, it's, it's foretelling the future, but it, in the New Testament, it's preaching, 
So when we attach little value to the preaching of the Word of God, we stifle the Spirit of God. Or when we don't attach value to Bible study, we squash the Spirit of God. We put out the fire. Uh, Listen, the supernatural work of the Spirit of God is stifled when we don't put much value on the preaching of the Word of God or studying the Word of God. Isn't that good? Or is it just me think that's fantastic? When we don't think it's valuable, when you think the preacher is just up there rambling, amen? Because the Bible says, now listen, the Bible says that God speaks through the foolishness of preaching. You hear me say that all the time. Because it's not me. It's the word of God. We have to value that. And if we don't value that, we quench the Spirit of God. Number two, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, it says this. This is why I remind you, Paul's talking to Timothy, a young preacher boy. He says, I remind you that you fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you with the laying on hands of the disciples. So Tim had a, Timothy had a gift, and Paul's saying... I want you to fan into flames. I want that gift, which is given by who? The Spirit of God at salvation. I want you to fan into flames. Don't stifle it. And how is he to fan fan that flame into fire? He does it, listen, he does it by his what? Yielding and using his gifts. So the idea is simply, when you don't use the gift that God has given you in the body of believers, you're stifling, listen very carefully, you're stifling the fire, the Spirit of God that lives inside of you if you don't use that gift within the body. The supernatural gift that the Spirit of God has given you, you have stifled and you've put out that fire. Number three, again, back in Ephesians chapter five, it talks about, that when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, that's verse 18, then the, 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 the results take place is that we're singing to one another and we're making melody in our hearts to the Lord. So there's an emotion that takes place. When we were praising God back there, some of you were lifting your hands and some of you were praising God. Some of you were sitting there praising God without lifting your hands, okay? You were worshiping God. Great stuff. But the Holy Spirit, when he begins to move in you and you say no to the emotion that's going on, you stifle the supernatural work of the Spirit of God in your life. Do you see that? I mean, this is connected to your words, but I really wanted to bring this up as well. You stifle the Spirit of God. You put out the fire by those three things. Plus, the fourth one is your words. Before verse 30 and after verse 30, he talks about rotten words. And so when you speak these rotten words, you inflict pain on the Holy Spirit and you stifle the work of the Spirit of God, which the Holy Spirit does so many great things in your life. He teaches you the Word of God. He leads you. He speaks to you. He has the freedom to do all this. But when you speak these rotten words, and you're not controlling those words, 
And you're not using it for his kingdom. And you're not trying to make other people see the goodness of God, how, how spicy Christ is, how you know, tasty he is. When you're not doing that, you're stifling the fire of the Spirit of God in your life. So the goal this morning is simply this. As we think about all the scriptures that Proverbs has given us, which ties into the New Testament, understand this. There is power, listen, in your words. So much power that can encourage and lift someone up or it can discourage someone, especially your spouse. You feel, well, I can just say anything I want around them. Just tell them exactly how I feel. Wrong-o. If you want to be an encouragement, you want to build them up, you choose your words wisely. Don't say anything that won't build them up. Because the reason you're saying these constructive criticism is to build them up, not to tear them down. That's why we're truth, truth in love. Truth kills. I mean, it destroys. But truth in love, your whole goal is to build them up. You do it at the right timing, with the right words. In other words, you're choosing your words wisely. It doesn't matter what it is. It's all about the person. That's why you choose your words. Your goal is to lift them up. And you, your goal is to allow the Holy Spirit not to quench him in your life. There's so much he's got to do. He's going to make your marriage better. He's going to help you raise your kids. The Holy Spirit is going to give you insight. He's going to show you the path that you need to walk. He's going to give you the voice of God. The Holy Spirit does all of this, and your words can stop it. Cold in its tracks. So we have to choose our words wisely. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Just thank you for the word of God. Thank you that for this meat this morning. It, it's meat. And Father, some people are going to be only be able to digest a little bit of the meat this morning. Just, just maybe a fraction. Others are just gobbling it up this morning. I mean, just feasting on the meat this morning especially the area of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for those. First of all, for those this morning that are here, that as they get into the Word of God, they're not finding you delicious. I pray for their quiet time. God, that it would come out alive. They would confess their sin. They would get into the Word of God, and they would pray to you. And, Father, I pray that you would, you would literally cause the Word of God to come alive, and then they would begin to express that to those around them. And God, I pray for those that really just didn't get anything. Father, I pray for them that your Holy Spirit would really spot your light on their heart and where they're at. Possibly the not valuing your word. Not listening to your word. That other things are more valuable than their quiet time with you and you specifically speaking to them. God, we, we need you in our midst this morning. We need you to stir our hearts and cause us to be on fire and stop quenching your spirit.
And Father, we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right. brother.